Good morning, everyone. God bless you all for coming. The more you sacrifice, the greater the blessing of the Lord. It's not worth anything to give God something that's of no value. You know? So God bless you for coming, even though you could have sat behind Zoom. Um, you've decided to come because you know that the Word of God is greater than just watching it or listening to it. It's to be lived, experienced. It's to be like coal, warming up coal, and you get hotter and hotter. And that's what fellowship is. Um, you can't have fellowship, you can't have the Word of God without fellowship, you know. You can't just keep God's Word and say, you know, I'm close to Jesus and that's all you do. You just, you know? The Word of God is living, and it's for all those that are alive. So God bless you for coming. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning about um, disciple, the disciple, the proof of the disciple. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, for every heart, every head bowed before you this morning. We are weak, but you are strong. You've made all things possible that lead us to you. You have directed our steps, you have paved our path, that we may find the face of Jesus, the whole world may know you, that everyone who professes may possess you. I pray, Father, that everyone that confesses may live you. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would bless every heart, every head, every ear, every eye that is here, whether they're on Zoom or whether they're on location, Lord God, may your Holy Spirit move in their hearts and in their lives. Cast the devil out every distraction. Cast every obstacle, anything that hinders, Lord God, the clarity of your word. I pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, cast it out. And I pray this in his precious name. Amen. 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 It always fascinates me um, when we talk about the idea of a disciple, a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It always fascinates me how Jesus, when he commanded his disciples, he didn't say to them, go ye into the world and make churches. He didn't even say, go ye into the world and make Christians. He actually used the word disciple. Go ye into the world and make disciples. And that's a fascinating term for me, disciple. What does that even mean? What is a disciple? We don't go calling ourselves disciples, do we? We call ourselves Christians. But I reckon there's a bit of a problem in today's world, especially among Christianity. I reckon we've got churches, and churches could be filled with anything and anyone. And then you've got Christians, and Christians can be anyone. I wasn't going to say anything. Just anyone. But then you've got a disciple. Even in this church, even in this fellowship, we have people who just come to church. We have people who call themselves Christian. But I reckon there's about a few who are disciples. Disciple. What's a disciple? You know, in history, they're full of them. Plato had a disciple named Aristotle. Buddha had his own disciples. In fact, Jesus had his disciples. John the Baptist had his disciples. Jesus had his disciples, and one of his disciples was named John. And John had his disciple named Polycarp. I don't know if you've heard about Polycarp. 
But he's a fascinating character, Polycarp, one of the disciples of, of John the Apostle. And Polycarp was like John. And John was like Jesus. In fact, the word uh, discipline comes from the Latin word uh, disciplus, I think, if I say it right. Disciplus, which means pupil, a student of the leader, the master. In fact, Jesus gives us a really, really good uh, kind of a description or a characteristic of a disciple. And we find it here, and you don't need to turn to this because there's a lot of verses this morning. But in Luke chapter three, 6, verse 39, uh, verse 40, he says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. That's a really good description of a disciple. Everyone that is perfect, now we're not talking about uh, Christians, we're just talking about what a disciple is. So anyone who is perfect shall be the disciple of his master, who shall be like his master. This idea of disciple comes from this idea of a discipline who is disciplined in the way or thoughts or actions of the master. A disciple is someone who is perfected in the ways of his master. And Jesus said, go ye, make disciples. Go make people who are to be perfected or completed in the way of the master, Jesus Christ. And all the disciples were disciples, not by name, but because they lived like the master. They actually, all of them, if you look at history, all died just as Christ died. In fact, there was only one of them, John, that they questioned. They tried to kill John. They boiled the hot oil and threw him in, but it couldn't kill him by the grace and providence of God. So they put him in a, a, on, on an island. And now there's the questions whether did he die a natural death or was he martyred sometime later? But John, who was a disciple of Jesus, who was like Jesus, also discipled another man called Polycarp who also was someone who discipled someone, someone, someone. Uh, John uh, discipled a man named Ignatius, who also discipled Arrhenius through church history, and they made disciples. They did not make Christians. They made people who mastered the way of the master. Polycarp was an example of a disciple because when he was in the age of 83 and they were coming for him to destroy him and to kill him. At 83, he hid himself away from the people. But when they finally, three days later, caught a hold of him, while they barged through the door, he sits there staring at him, thinking to himself, these guys have been on a three-day-long journey. They must be awfully hungry. And he sent his cook to make some food for them. That's an unbelievable characteristic. It looks like Jesus to me. And when they actually got him and they told him, you must recant, you must turn away from the living God. Well, what they would do is they would get you and they put you in the middle of a circular kind of stadium and behind you are all the Christians and before you are all the um, unbelieving pagans 
and they would put you there and they would cause you to testify and they'd want you to say one thing. They'd want you to say to all the people, not to the people, to the Christians behind you, because they're there watching their brother being persecuted, that he was required to turn around, look at all the Christians and do one thing, only one comment, one phrase. Away with you all atheists. That was the comment. So he had to turn around, look at his brothers and sisters, and tell them all, away with you all atheists. And the reason why they called Christians atheists back then, because anyone who didn't believe in the gods of their god was considered an atheist. It's like a turn of the table. Like, and so he'd turn around, look at all his brothers and sisters, and he stood there, 83 years of age, I think, you know, fragile and, and hopeless and helpless, and they're waiting, the crowd's waiting. And what does Polycarp do? A disciple of John, a disciple of Jesus, he looks at all the crowd and he sweeps his hand to make sure he's gathered them all and he goes, away with you all atheists. And he did that to the crowd and that cost him his life. So although he was noble and true and he said what they wanted, he pointed to the crowd and called them all atheists while his brothers and sisters, the true believers, watched him go and die. That is a disciple. That is a disciple. That's not church going. That's not someone who just likes Jesus or talks about Jesus. That's not just a theologian. There was a man who once said, um, and the word became flesh. And the theologians continued in the Word, to talk about the Word, just Word, 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 Word. But the Word became flesh, dwelt amongst us, lived for us, and the reason being is so that He can show the world how we ought to live. Otherwise, He could have just stood there uh, up on the mountain and die, you know, just die. He could have done that. He would have been born, lived, stayed on the mountain, shed his blood and died, but he didn't. He actually walked so that you know how to walk. That's why. He spoke so that you know how to speak. He acted so you know how to act. He responded so you know how to respond. He didn't retaliate. He didn't fight back. He didn't accuse. He didn't judge. He even said, I didn't come to judge you. I came to help you. I came to minister to you. And I do this so that you know that everything I do is by my Father, so that you know how to walk after me. Let me share with you proofs of what a disciple looks like, feels like, even maybe smells like. Turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 8. John chapter 15, verse 8. You know, there's a man named um, Peter Waldo. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was a great leader, a great preacher. And he became a Christian. He was very, very rich. He was a merchant in France. A lot of money. And his friend happened to die at a feast. And he was so distraught by his death that these two Christians came and they ended up talking to him, preaching to him. And he was so impacted by the word that he sold everything. He sold everything, all his riches, 
and went around telling the world using these words. Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, learn of Jesus. And that was his message. That was his message. And that's a description of a disciple. You look to Jesus, you listen to Jesus, and you learn of Jesus. Sometimes I think Christianity is like a subscription. In the, in the days of social media, you know, you can subscribe, you know, three-month subscription, you know. Um, have you seen those subscriptions where you kind of, uh, you put your credit card details and it's like a one-month description and you, you better be on the ball because if you miss it, you've already hooked yourself into payment, right? And sometimes Christians are a bit like that, you know, they subscribe to a certain oath or some kind of a, and they don't realize that they've just done that. And sooner or later, months, two months later, they're they're sliding into the church and they're they're doing what Christians do, but they don't realize that they've just actually, you know, contributed to something. They don't know that money's coming out of their account before it's too late. It's it's almost like you you come to church and you're, you're paying an entrance fee, you know, rather than an annual subscription. Like this is, a, this is a lifetime commitment. You go and you might taste the church and you, you listen to a certain message and you think, oh, I think I like that preacher. I'll put him on my, my list of list, listening to. You know, it's like a selection, a catalogue that you go through. <laughs> but listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, verse 8. Listen, by this my Father is glorified. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit and you prove to be my disciple. So how do you show the world that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? How do you depict? How do you look? Bear much fruit. You bear much fruit. Now listen, bear much fruit isn't do a lot of good things. That's not what he said. He goes, you know, my father isn't glorified by you doing a lot of, my father isn't glorified by you being nice. Just because you're nice, you're a nice person. Or even work. He doesn't say, my father is glorified by you doing good deeds. He doesn't say that. And we're hooked up thinking that it's ministerial service and doing and doing and doing that the Father or God is happy with us, but He's not. He's not. He does not care. You can go to Ethiopia and save a thousand Ethiopians. And God does not flinch one bit. It doesn't glorify God because God can do that. God does that. God uses the unbeliever. God believes, uses, He rises up people around the world to speak the truths of God even though they're not even Christian. Because God does what He does and He can do it. But He says, but listen, if you want to glorify God, my disciples, the one who, who, who's my disciple, they bear much fruit. Now listen, the word fruit is evident. We know what that is. There's seven of fruit. Seven. That's why he says, bear much fruit. Much fruit. You're not even my disciple even if you're gentle. You're not even my disciple even if you're patient. Because anyone could be gentle. Hindu people are very gentle. You know? But those who bear much fruit, meaning the Holy Spirit manifestation in that person, that's a lot. Self-control, patience, love, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering. 
They prove they're my disciples. That is the evidence, the proof they're my disciples. Being nice doesn't make you a disciple. You could be kind, it doesn't make you a disciple. But the manifestation of the indwelling Christ in you, the Holy Spirit, is proof you're a disciple. So what does that mean? What are other proofs? Listen to this one. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26. Now this one really throws people off a bit. And I don't think Christians, honestly, I don't think Christians understand this fully. I honestly think that people don't understand this. It's very confusing for the one who's not associated to the, to the, to the, to the things of God or connected It says this, Luke chapter 14, verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, yes, even their own life, he cannot be my disciple. How clear is that? I mean, you don't need a theologian. You don't need a commentary. You don't need need anything. You just need that scripture. That's what it says. Anyone who does not hate their mother, father, brother, sister, children, whatever, even your own self, you cannot be my disciple. You can, you can try and... Uh, I, I, I don't know how you can misinterpret that scripture. You have to hate. Well, obviously we know. He's not telling people, unless you have bitterness in your heart, resentment and spite... Unless you have bitterness and resentment and spite in your heart towards your brother, you can't. Obviously, he's not saying that, right? So what's he saying? That you've got to hate them? What's that even mean? What it means is this. There are many, 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 many things in this world that are wired against God. Lots and lots of things. And whatever is wired against God, you must hate. Despise. That's all. The dilemma is probably the most closest, the most intimate things that you hold on to are going to be the core of the very things that are against God for you. Your own heart your own affections, your own intimacy in relationships. And he's saying to you, these things work opposite to God. And if you want to be my disciple, you've got to despise those things. That's what he's saying. And there's, the, there's, the, there's a dilemma here. There's a bit of a, like, a, like a, um, uh, an unbalance of emotions. And I'll tell you what it is is that by nature, by nature, we love our mum and dad, we love our family, we love our children, yet I'm meant to reject the very things that are wired against God, and I find myself betwixt two. I understand what Jesus wants me to do. He wants me to cut off anything that's wired against Him. But at the same time, the things that are wired against Him, my my heart and my mind and my affections are drawn there. Like my mum and my dad. That's the emphasis of why he's giving you these intimate relationships. So therefore, I'm called to do something. 
I know what I must do. I must hate very things that hinder me from following. But my heart says I must be close and affectionate. And, and so therefore, we read things like this. Let me read this for you. Then Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. So that makes sense to me now. You see, I don't want, I, I, I want to be happy. I want to live life. I want to be like everyone else. But I know that life is anti-God. There's certain things in life that, you know, God doesn't want. But my affections and my, they want to go there. And so I've got to do something because he says, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. And I've got to, well, then I've got to deny that, don't I? That's what he says. Deny it. Deny it and take up your cross. This is a disciple. Disciple and the word Christian are synonyms. You understand? They're synonyms. They're both the same thing. The only difference is the Christian is a, 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 a further description of what the person is discipled in, which is Christ. That's all. Christian is, is basically saying, I'm a disciple, follower of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of, of Buddha. I've, I follow my master, who is Jesus. And I know that a disciple it can't be better than him, but can be complete, perfect, like him. Turn with me to this verse. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. These are all proofs of a disciple, evidence of a disciple. Luke 14, verse 27. So this, this denial, this denial that he's calling you, he calls it carrying the cross. That's what it is. You know, when you deny yourself, it's a heavy burden. You've got to carry the cross. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, once again, Jesus being very, very clear, you cannot be my disciple. So let's look at the cross. What does that even look like? If you can't bear your own cross, you can't come after me. You can't come after me. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is not the feel-good gospel. This is not the grace, 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 grace gospel. This is just the simple truth of Jesus Christ drawing a line for you to describe for you exactly what it looks like to be my follower. It's as simple as that. We don't need to cloud it. We don't need to decorate it. We don't need to motivate it. We don't need to inspire it. This is just what it is. So he says to you, you've got to carry your cross. What's a cross look like? There's a story of a, of a, um, a priest or a minister, and they're walking through another minister's house, and the man's taken him through his house, and it's grand, and it's beautiful, and he takes him to the garden, and he shows him this big, massive, solid wooden cross. And the man goes, cost me $10,000. What do you think of that? 10000 the cross in my garden. The minister looks at him and goes, you've been ripped off. He goes, Christians many years ago would have got it for free. 
you've been ripped off. You know, you got, you got, you got uh, ministers shrouded in clothing that is glorious, in pews that are beautiful, seated, and, and, and stained glass windows like this beaming through, and glorious gold, and, and, and gold-plated Bibles, and you open it up, and there's silk ribbons, and you know, unless a man takes up his cross from the same Bible that's, got, you know, that's probably worth about 200 bucks, unless he takes up his cross, denies himself, and sells everything they have and follow me, they can't follow me. It's a contradiction. And he says, take up your cross, and the cross to me looks, looks rugged and heavy. And, and it looks like to me that there's no light at the end of the tunnel. All it looks like is like this pitched hill called, called Golgotha, you know, uh, uh, the, the skull. You know? and, and, and the crowd, they're all mocking and laughing and ridiculing and, and speaking evil as, I, as I'm walking towards this dark storm. I'm thirsty, you know, no one's given me anything and, and, and I'm waiting on, on, on some kind of relief and I'm not getting it. And he says, take up your cross, take it up, it's your cross. It's not my mum's, it's not my dad's, it's not the church's, it's not the, the preacher, it's not the pastor, it's your cross. Take it up. And then all of a sudden something happens on this journey and it's beautiful. A man by the name of Simon comes along by the grace of God. By the grace of God, Simon comes along because God ordained it and God provided and he brought this man to carry that cross for Jesus. But Jesus didn't ask for it, didn't, Jesus didn't beg for it, Jesus didn't claim, uh, uh, um, complain about it. He waited on the Father's will till that day on the cross where he hung. And in the journey towards that day, which every Christian needs to know and have that envision and perspective that we are there to the cross that we wait on the Father's grace and love, there's going to be days of refreshment, days of peace, days of encouragement, where the Father picks up the cross that we try to carry and He carries it with us, which is beautiful. But you never hear Jesus whinging, you never hear Jesus complaining, you never hear Jesus murmuring, you never hear Jesus backbiting, you never hear Jesus talk about Himself and me, me, look what they're doing to me, look, I'm an innocent man, how can they treat me like this? You never hear Jesus justifying Himself. You, you hear nothing of Jesus only seven words at the cross, after all, you know? And that, that one beautiful word that shows you the heart of a disciple, Father, forgive them, they don't even know what they're doing. That's a disciple. The disciple's eyes have been opened. They see the reality of life. They know what life is all about. And anyone who's not at the life of Christ, they don't know what they're doing. So that's okay, man. I don't expect you to be nice to me or kind to me or good to me if you don't have Jesus in your heart. What am I going to be upset about? That you hate me? I don't expect you to love me. So I don't hate you. You're helpless. This is what Jesus was saying. They don't know what they do. That's the disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why Polycarp was able to feed the people who were coming to kill him. Because they don't know. But if you claim to know, you, Christian, claim to know, the Bible says, anyone who names the name of Christ, let them depart from iniquity. Anyone who names, anyone who says, I'm a Christian, then they live a life like Christ, away and separate from sin. 
He goes on. It doesn't finish. The descriptions are, 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 are crazy. The, the descriptions, if you do a study on a disciple, the descriptions are crazy. Listen to this one in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. Turn to this if you like. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all cannot be my disciple. Two important words here. Renounce, renounce, and all. Renounce and all. What's renounce mean? I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if people like, like this, this, this word much, especially when it's connected to this verse. Renounce is to give up. It's to refuse. It's to resign. It's to let go. But particularly, it's associated with a formal public declaration. That's renounce. It's not just a word, lip service. It's actually a, 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 a diligent appearance of what you're confessing. So when you say, I've given up everything to follow Jesus, you actually look like you've given up everything to follow Jesus. That's what the word renounce means. And the word all is found after that word. All. It doesn't say renounce this, like renounce, stop, this, renounce that renounce all. I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. And this life I now live, I live by the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me and gave himself for me. The testimony of true love is that he gave. And in the end, what is the true mark of a disciple? True mark. When everything's been stripped away, you give up everything you have, you deny yourself, you carry the cross, you got nothing left, but just one thing. What is it? Love. It's all been stripped, and the only thing you've got left is to love. That's all I got. Be in debt to no one but to love them. That's it. You owe nothing to anyone but to love. Love. That's it. And that's why you read here in John chapter 13, verse 34, listen, a new commandment I give to you, if you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If, if you love, if you have love for one another. Now you're all sitting down going, oh man, what is this? What am I hearing? This is too hard. This is too much. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. Listen, listen to me carefully. When Jesus went and looked around and chose disciples, he did not go to the rich. He did not go to the famous. He did not go to the holy people. He didn't go to the righteous people. He went to people who were broken, uneducated. You understand? And he made them disciples. You understand? He didn't go for the holy people. He went for the broken, and he made them disciples. So every one of you who's saying, oh, this is too much. I can't be like Jesus. I can't be a disciple. 
You need to understand Peter and, 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 and all the Thomas, the doubter, all of them. Christ made them disciples that in the end, all of them testified that they died for him. So which one of us or which one of you cannot be like the master, complete? The word complete means perfect, just as he is perfect. The Bible tells us, walk as he walked. So there's no excuse. There's no reason. It's only for those who desire. Now, most people, and I'll finish here, most people question, no, you got it wrong, you got it wrong. A disciple is someone who serves Jesus, and we're not all called to serve Jesus. There are Christians, and there are disciples. Some people might say that, but that's a lie. That's a, that's a gross lie. Because there's a man that came to Jesus who did not ask Jesus about, I want to be a disciple. He said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's all he wanted. He wanted eternal life. He didn't ask, what must I do to follow you? What must I do to serve you? He says, I want eternal life. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus basically gave him the description of a disciple. He says, you, wanna, you want <laughs> eternal life? Go sell everything you have and follow me. So who does eternal life belong to? Does it belong to Christians or does it belong to the disciple? The disciple. Let me finish. You have church full of many people. You have Christians who call themselves whatever they want. But then you have the disciple. Nothing less, nothing more than who Jesus is, the master. The disciple is the one who's mastered the life of the Master. Let's bow our heads in prayer. The Bible says that salvation is as close as your lips. You don't need to be sitting in your chair, confused, doubting, resisting. If your heart is stirred and you know that this is the truth of God, then the Bible asks you to believe Believe, do you believe Jesus Christ came to give you life and set you free? Do you believe? And if you believe, I believe that you can call Him your Savior by asking Him to come and deliver you from your sin, whatever issue. And you can hear the words of the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, go and sin no more. And walk in faith, believing that you've been set free. That he'll make you a disciple of his. If you believe. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord God, that you, Lord Jesus, may continue to reveal yourself to us more and more. That your word, Lord God, that is spoken this morning, Lord God, may continue to be remembered throughout the day, throughout the week. Those who are here, Lord God, for the first time, Lord God, you've brought them to listen to this. Those who are here, Lord God, that you've brought to listen to your word, you've ordained. Pray that you keep knocking at the door of our heart till we fully submit and surrender every part of our life to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.